There's a story of three men who are discussing their giving to God, uh, their, how they gave to God, and the first man said, well, I believe in tithing, and so I give God 10% of everything I earn. The second man, he had a different way of giving. He said, I just take every, all my cash, and I take a plate in one hand, the cash in the other hand, and I throw all the cash up in the air, and whatever falls in the plate, I give that to God. And the third man, he thought his way was superior. He said, I offer it all to God. I pray to God, and I say, God, you just keep what you want to keep, and I throw it all up in the air, and what falls to the floor, he says, that's what I spend. Well, how do you decide what you're going to give to God? And in answering that question, many people are asking, how much do I have to give to God? How much should I be giving? What does God require? And those are legitimate questions. And often what the person is wondering is, should I be tithing? Does God require tithing? And just to be clear here, tithing means to give 10% of your income to God. Today, that word tithe is often used in Christian circles just to mean giving. So someone will throw a $10 bill in the offering plate and they'll say, I'm tithing. What they mean is they're giving. Uh, no tithe means 10%. I was raised to tithe and to give beyond the tithe. I was taught that... Uh, the tithe belonged to the Lord, and generosity began after the tithe. And my father not only taught this, but he lived it out in his life, going far beyond the tithe. For a long time in my life, I taught that a person should tithe. We taught our children to tithe. But as time went on, I began to see that view as problematic. Not problematic in the sense that... Um, Tithing is a good thing to do, but problematic in teaching that the scripture tells us to tithe. And if that is your view, I am so glad that you are tithing. And I want to say I love you and I, I uh, accept your sincerity in tithing and I believe that God will bless you in it for it. And I pray that God will bless you for it. And for much of my life, I have believed as you believe and I believe that God has blessed me for it. But as time has gone on, I've seen it as problematic for teaching tithing from a scriptural point of view. And it's also problematic from what God is calling us to. I've come to agree with what John Piper said when he was asked about tithing. He said, my take on tithing in North America, that it is a middle class way of robbing God. Tithing to the church and spending the rest on yourself is not a Christian goal, it's a diversion. The real issue is, how shall we use God's trust fund, namely all that we have for his glory? In a world with so much misery, what lifestyle should we call our people to live? What example are we setting? Billy Graham, when he was asked about tithing, he said something to this effect. He said, I believe tithing is a good place to start. Now, before we go further, I want to acknowledge that this is one of those controversial things amongst Christians, um, one of those controversial issues, and the Bible actually gives us principles that we are to use when we're having controversial issues. 
and uh, we don't have time to get into them, but I'm going to just mention them. First, know what you believe and why you believe it. You need to back yourself up from Scripture. Know what you believe and why you believe it. The second one that it teaches on controversial issues is live consistently with your belief. The third one is love those who disagree with you. And the fourth principle is live in unity with those who disagree with you. We're not to divide over controversial issues. And tithing is certainly not one that we should divide over. And so here's why I believe that tithing is problematic. And I, I really struggle with this message because we could take four or five messages to actually talk about what the Old Testament teaches and why it's, uh, why it's problematic. So I've really condensed it down. First, if you're going to accept tithing as being a part of the law that carries forward for us today, then you need to accept everything that it says about tithing. And so here's what the Old Testament taught about tithing. There was a yearly tithe, uh, which commonly is called the Levite tithe, which was used to support the religious system. It paid for the Levites as they were working full time, uh, and on it went. Uh, attached to that, there was also a yearly temple tax, which was about two days' wages that just helped take care of the physical needs of the temple. And so there was that yearly tithe. And it went to support uh, the religious system. And an equivalent today would be as if everyone tithed to the church and uh, used to support its ministries. The second tithe was there was a yearly festival tithe, and you gave 10% that went, and God had arranged, so there were several festivals that everyone was to go to every year. And uh, by giving the tithe, it ensured that the whole nation could come together and they could party before the Lord. It's really what they were doing. Now, there was significant scriptural truths that were being taught in these festivals. And as you study them out, they actually all point forward to Christ and they're fulfilled in Christ. But this ensured that everyone could come and join in on this party of worship is what I'll call it. So two ties, we're up to 20% now. Every third year, there was a third tithe. So every third year, you had to give 30%. That extra 10% went to the, the temple, to the religious system, and they were to use that to help out the poor and the needy. Anyone that had a need, they could go to the priests, and the priests could help them out because they had this tithe that was given to them just for that. And so if you want to average that out per year, their tithing was 23 and a third percent every year. And so if we believe that we should tithe according to the law, then we need to be giving 23 and a third percent average per year. You see, the Bible never ever did teach 10% as you commonly hear in evangelical churches. It never did teach that. It taught you 20% every year and every third year an extra 10%. And so if you're going to follow the law on the tithing, do we get to pick and choose? We'll do this tithe, but not this tithe. 
do you get to do that? No, I don't believe you can. But we have to realize that in the Old Testament, generosity started after 23 and a third percent. That's when generosity started. The second problem that I have with the tithing is that uh, many of the prom promises uh, that were attached, and uh, God consistently attached promises to the tithes in the Old Testament. But they're very specific to the nation of Israel. And they were very material promises. You tithe, you do this, I will prosper you financially. And people then take that and they try to apply the promises to themselves and they wonder why. And you actually hear that statement, you know, it's like, well, you know, I shovel it out to God, but God shovels it back to me and God has a bigger shovel than I do. Well, that's a wonderful investment plan, isn't it? Financially. And there's always the stories of where that happened. And then people are devastated when it doesn't happen to them. But what they're doing is they're applying the Old Testament tie, which was part of the law for Israel. They're applying it to themselves and then trying to apply the promises that were to Israel to themselves. You know, when we grew up, when I was young, there was that song, mine, 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 every promise in the book is mine. They were teaching us a lie when they taught us that song because... Not every promise in the book is ours. Some of them are specific to the nation of Israel. And we need to be careful of applying them to ourselves. The third reason I have a problem with the tithe is the New Testament doesn't teach the tithe. Some would say, yes, it does, because there are two times in the Gospels where Jesus talked about the tithe. But to say that Jesus was teaching the tithe to us, and I don't have time to get into why it, he's actually teaching, he's talking about the tithe to Israel, Old Testament people, uh, to take them and apply them to us as a church, you actually take them out of context. And actually they were passages of condemnation to Israel in those passages. But other than those two passages, the New Testament never mentions the tithe. Now here is what the early church when it came to uh, and they decided it under the guidance of the Holy Spirit as Paul was teaching out there the Gentiles he was teaching the gospel you had these Jewish Christians they came along and they uh, began to teach well you know Paul you're missing half of the gospel you're teaching the part about you have to believe in Jesus and he died for your sins but there's another part of the gospel that you have to follow the Old Testament law and if you don't follow the Old Testament law you're not saved and Paul said, that's an error, that's wrong. It's faith in Christ alone. And they got in such a sharp disagreement about it that Paul finally said, okay, guys, let's just take this back to all the apostles at the Jerusalem church and to the, Jerusalem, the mother church, and we'll let them decide it. And so they had a big church council meeting. And everyone had, to, had their say and so on. But after a lot of discussion, the, the, that church, the Jerusalem church, they came back and they said, no, we're not under the law. And we're not going to put that burden on the Gentiles. 
Even we as the Jews couldn't handle it. And we're not going to pass that burden on. God is not putting us under the law there. They mentioned a couple things which they felt that the Gentiles should abstain from for the sake of peace and unity with the Jewish Christians. But here's what is significant. Tithing was not carried forward as something necessary for us to do as New Testament believers. So what have I come to believe? Well, first of all, I've come to believe that tithing is a good place to start. Not as a matter of the law, but as a good baseline for us to commit to. And from there to continue to give as we're able. It's good for us to have something in our lives where we say, you know, to this we commit. Monthly, we're just going to commit to this baseline. And then we'll give beyond that as we're able. So it's not a matter of law, but it's having a healthy baseline. And so I'll repeat Billy Graham's word. When he asked about the tithing, he said, it's a good place to start. And I really believe that. And the principles behind the Old Testament tithing are still valid, even if the command no longer applies. For example, in the Old Testament, the one tithe went to support the religious system. The temple, support the wages, and so on. Uh, the church has replaced that. Uh, we, as God's church, as God's people, we have a responsibility to take care of the needs of the church. We have a responsibility for the ministries of this church. There's only one place that the money's going to come to carry out the ministries of this church, and that's from our own pocketbooks. And so that responsibility was there in the Old Testament. It's there in the New Testament. That hasn't changed. Years ago, we went to, were asked to go to a church to help them solve a problem. And the problem was that many years before that, uh, the church had been doing well. It was growing. Uh, they built a new church. But they were only about two, three years into enjoying their new church, and they were, it was already too small. A good problem. Now, they had built the church. It was designed so that if it did become too small one day, they could just extend it. Keep the sanctuary they had, but just extend it. Keep going. Expand it. And it was a good plan. But there was a group of them that they, uh, they didn't like that idea. And they had this uh, huge... I'll call it a huge idea in their minds. This uh, big, grandiose church, and so much so that the other group started calling it the cathedral. You guys want to build a cathedral. Now, they were just in a small little town, village, way beyond what they would ever need. And uh, the, those who uh, were part of the cathedral group, were, they were asked, well, where are you going to get the money to build this? We don't know. Well, we as a church are too small. We don't have the funds for that. Well, that's no problem. You just need to have enough faith. God will send the money from somewhere. And it went back and forth. And um, they would fight over it. And people would leave the church. Now they didn't need a bigger church. So the issue would die down. But then eventually the church would grow again. Now they needed a bigger church. And the issue would come back. And they just cycled through that. And never getting past it. 
Neither side was willing to back down. And so I was brought in. And uh, so when I was brought in, you had that one group was pushing for what the others called the cathedral, and the other group saying, well, you just don't have enough faith, and uh, you need to have a faith. And so they said to me, so what's the answer? I said, I want to tell you a story of a pastor who was in a church who was going to build a new church. But things weren't going well, and there wasn't enough money coming in, and it just drug on and on, and they just couldn't bring together enough money for that church. Finally, one day, the pastor got up and he said, you know, I have good news for you this morning. God has provided us with enough money for, to build our new church. And they all got excited and they cheered. And when the cheering died down, the pastor continued. He said, the bad news is still in your pockets. Now, sometimes God does call us to trust him to provide money from somewhere else. But we need to clearly know that he is saying that. And if you don't know that, then here's the general principle. For the ministries of a local church, whatever we do, God has provided us with the means for what he wants us to do. All we need to do is get it out of our pockets and put it to use for him. That's what faith is, is being willing to reach into your own pocket, give to what is needed, and trust God to take care of you. Not trusting God to send it from somewhere else. Faith is not starting on something that we have no means to do and we don't know that God is asking us to do it. And then starting it and then telling God, you have to supply. That's presumption not faith. And when I told the story, it just, it just got quiet. There were no more comments. They went on not to build the cathedral. They extended the sanctuary to give them the space they needed. They added another whole wing to the church to provide more classroom space, a kitchen, and a large foyer. It all came from their pockets, and they did it in the next year, and they were debt-free. But they had spent 20-some years fighting about it. And the meanwhile, it had always been there. God had always had provided. We have a responsibility to give to the church so this church can carry out the ministry which God is asking of it. And if we don't have enough funds as a church, there's one of two things. Either still in our pockets or we're trying to do something that God isn't asking of us. But it's not just the local church. We're also called to evangelize the world, and that takes money. We're called still to be thankful and to honor God and of necessity. This at times includes our money. We're still called to party, to celebrate God's goodness and be thankful together. And I believe that we should be investing more in celebrating and partying together in the name of Jesus. And we're still called to meet each other's needs, the needs of the poor and the stranger, and that takes money. Now, the danger of the tithe is I can say I've given 10% and I'm done. I've done enough. But the New Testament removes that kind of thinking. The money which is needed to fulfill what God wants this church to do is here in our pockets. 
So what does the New Testament give us? Well, the New Testament teaches us that giving was need-based. As we look at what they did, uh, giving was uh, primarily, that's what it mainly talks about, was meeting the needs. And uh, they gave to meet the needs of people, first other Christians and then other people. Galatians 6, uh, starting in verse 7, says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Now, we often apply that to, well, the things that we're sowing to our lives, like what do you watch on TV and so on. And certainly that applies. But he immediately follows it up and he says, let us not be weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so he's applying it directly to how you give. How are you sowing your money? Are you sowing your money to please your sinful nature? Or are you sowing to please the Holy Spirit? That's the question that Paul's asking here. So with that thought in your mind, how are you sowing your money? He says, he's encouraging them, let's not be weary in doing good. Let's start sowing our money for good. Especially to the family of believers. The New Testament church, rather than focusing on tithing, focused on meeting the needs of what was ever in front of them. And they graciously and gladly gave, even sacrificially, to meet those needs. We have in Acts 2, as the church began there, it says they had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as they needed. In Acts 4, 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of the possession of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to everyone as they had need. Now, he wasn't talking about communal living here, where they just put everything together in one big pot and nobody owned everything. That's not what he's talking about. They still own their own possessions. They still have their own things. But what he's saying is they held it with an open hand. If I have more than I need, I'm willing to let it go out of my hands to help someone else. Now, when a church has that kind of an attitude and motivation, tithing just becomes a non-issue. It's a non-issue. John 15, Jesus says he was about to depart from the disciples. He said, my command is, love each other as I have loved you. Let's just turn it into giving. Give to each other as I've given to you. Greater love is no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Forget about tithing. Just love them to the same extent I love you. If you'll love them to the extent I love you, then tithing doesn't mean anything anymore. Chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, you must, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. 
This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possession, sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue or with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So Old Testament, what in my pocket is mine, but I acknowledge really it is God because I'm going to give him the tithes. But I give him the tithes and the rest really is mine. But I do need to be generous out of it. That's Old Testament thinking. New Testament thinking? Forget all about that. Just love each other. And if we truly love each other, it's going to impact our giving in a way that we never, ever dreamt of. Second thing that comes across in the New Testament, giving was also church-based. And they did give individually and met needs, and that was strongly encouraged. And I just read you those words from John as he was encouraging that. But at the early church, it says they would sell possessions, they would bring the money, and they'd bring it to the church and say to the church, let's do this corporately. Let's meet the needs of people corporately. Just rather than me going and meet the need, let, us, let it come from the church. And they were doing that. We also have in Timothy, it talks of uh, the church being responsible to um, pay the wages of those who are serving full-time. Uh, in Acts 4 and Acts 6, we have them giving money so that they could give uh, money out to widows who are in need. And so there, there was clearly a church-based focus in the giving. And thirdly, we have uh, giving was for the advancement of God's kingdom, for missionary work. In the book of Philippians, uh, we see the Philippian church have been faithfully throughout Paul's ministry as a missionary. They were behind him and supporting him, helping him. So the, for the next few minutes, I just want to briefly go through uh, the New Testament principles of giving as taught by Paul to the Corinthians. And I'm going to have to go through this very quickly, but... It, 1 Corinthians 16, and I, he talks there, he says, uh, verse 1, Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with this income, saving it up, so when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now I need to set the scene here. We have the church, uh, we have the whole Jerusalem area, they're facing a severe famine going through extreme hardship. And it's long-term. This is multi-year. And uh, so Paul has been encouraging the other churches, make a collection. Let's get some money together. Let's send it to them to help the, our brothers and sisters there that are starving. And so that's what he's uh, talking about here in the first book here in Corinthians. And so he's giving them a principle about giving here. In their culture, uh, they were, most of them were paid daily. Uh, they lived from day to day. It was a cash society. And so Paul's encouraging them as they get paid day by day, just take a little bit. Save it up for Sunday. So that on Sunday, you have something to give to this collection 
that we're going to send off to Jerusalem. Now, in our culture, most of you get paid every two weeks or every month. Same principles, whatever that cycle is. Save some of it so that you have something to give. And then he says, if you earn a little, he says, in keeping with his income. So what he's saying really is if you earn just a little bit, just give a little bit. If you earn a lot, then give much. Giving is based on your income. When we lived in Kelowna, uh, the accountant that we had doing our income tax, and he wasn't a believer, and, uh, but he said, you know, I've learned something. He said, I've done the books for so many Christians over the year, and he said, I've, I've learned something about Christians. He says, the less they earn, the poorer they are, the more they give percentage-wise of their income. The richer they become, the less they give percentage-wise of their income. So the less they have, the more generous they are. The richer they become, the less generous they are. And that's going totally against what Paul is saying. You only earn a little, give a little. You earn much, give much. There's the story of two young men who made a covenant together that they'd always give a tithe of their income. And as time went on, they went into adulthood. <coughs> the one young man became a pastor and the other went into business. And he was excited when his business started turning a profit, when he earned his first uh, few dollars there. And uh, he gladly gave the tithe and uh, the company grew. And uh, eventually he was earning $100,000 and he tied the $10,000, and he was happy to do it. And uh, eventually, uh, the company was making a million dollars a year, and uh, he was tithing the $100,000 a year. And he, he's starting to become a little bit more of a struggle, but still gladly doing it. And he told the, eventually, he told the pastor, he came to see him. He said, you know, but now I'm making $6 million a year. And he said, this is just getting old. He said, I, a tithe would be $600,000. So I just can't do it anymore. And he said, it's got to stop. It was fine when I was only giving $1,000 as a tithe, but $600,000? You've got to do something, Pastor. Get me out of my covenant here, my commitment. And the story tells that the pastor didn't say anything. He simply dropped to his knees and he began to pray silently. Eventually, the businessman couldn't take it any longer, and he said, what are you doing? Are you asking God to let me out of my commitment? And uh, the pastor said, no, I'm praying God to take you back to where $1,000 is only your tithe. <laughs> well, what Paul is saying here is a New Testament principle. Giving is to be in proportion to your giving. Earn a little, give a little. Earn much, give much. Our generosity shouldn't decrease as our income goes up. Then we have him bring it back, the same situation, 2 Corinthians 8, uh, the famine is still going on. Uh, they're still collecting money to help them out in Jerusalem. And uh, he starts off there, he says, now brothers, in verse 1, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So he's talking to the Corinthian church about what the Macedonian church is doing. And pay attention to that word grace because he, he likes to use that in connection to uh, giving being able to be generous is an act of grace from God to us. 
It's a work of grace that God does in our hearts where we can generously give and be happy about it. That's a work of God in our hearts. We give because he has done this work of grace in our hearts. Verse 2, he goes on and he says, talking about the Macedonians, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. And so it wasn't just the Jerusalem church was facing problems, the Macedonian church was. It doesn't tell us what their severe trial is, but whatever their trial is, it's resulted in them being in an extreme poverty. And out of that poverty situation, Paul said that it had welled up into rich generosity. And they gave as much as they're able and even beyond their ability. And uh, it came out of an overflowing joy, he says. Going on, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And so no one is telling them that they need to do this. They're the people that other people should have been giving to. But they're saying, no, I want to give. No one's laying a guilt trip on them entirely on their own. It was something they wanted to do. And Paul's not sure about this. We just get a hint into what had happened there. He's, I think, looking at their extreme poverty, and he's, he's saying to them, hey, guys, I don't expect you guys to give. You got to put food on your table, and you're barely doing that. I'm not expecting this of you. And they, no, no, Paul, we want to. And they're begging him to allow them to do it. Maybe it came out of they understood what the Jerusalem church was going through, because they too were facing the same thing. And Paul marvels at this, and he says they gave them first, themselves first to God, and then to the rest of us. In their extreme poverty, they were saying, God, I am going to be completely committed to you, and secondly, I'm going to be completely committed to your people. And right now, your people need some help, and I'm going to help them. And so Paul then, verse 6, says, we urge Titus... To also bring this uh, to completion, this act of grace on your part. So Paul is in Macedonia at that time. They're doing that. And so he sends word to Titus, hey, the rich church, we need to get them on fire about this. Because the guys that are so poor, they can hardly put food on the table. They're giving generously. Now, the Corinthian church had already committed the year before, but they had never completed it. They hadn't brought it to completion. And then he says, Just as you excel in everything else, in faith, speech, and knowledge, and complete earnestness, and in your love for us, he's saying, you're a good church. When I look at all the Christian virtues and I look at you people, you embody them. But you're just missing one virtue. And that's the grace of giving. 
And so ex just as you excel in all the other virtues, I want you to bring your giving up to excel also to that same level of your love and faith and so on. And so Paul keeps using the word grace. God has given his gift of grace to us so that we can perform acts of grace to others. And he calls it giving as an act of grace. Verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you. This is not a matter of the law. But I am wanting to test the sincerity of your love. How we give demonstrates what's in the heart. How much do we actually love God and love each other? And I want to test it by comparing it to the earnestness of others. Hey, you guys are the rich guys, and you haven't completed your offering yet. Here are all the poor guys, and they've been very generous, and they have completed their offering. What's happening here? He's trying to spur them on. And then he compares them to Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so if you're struggling with the sincerity of your love, just go back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus and his love for us. Just go back to him. He's the example. And so verse 10, he says, now here's my advice. Last year, you were the first to start. You just didn't carry through. You were the first ones to desire to give to the Jerusalem church. Just finish it. Just finish it. Just let that eager willingness to be there. You had an eager, eager willingness to start it. Let your eagerness go right through to the completion. Because he said, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. So what Paul is saying, you've done so well in the past, just keep up the good job. Don't lose your eagerness. Keep on, finish it up. Don't worry about whether it's enough or not. Some of you are maybe thinking, well, you know, I can hardly give anything. He says, don't worry about that. It's not a matter how much you give. It's a matter of your heart. And if the heart is right, the gift is acceptable. You know, Jesus taught that as one day he was sitting by the temple and a widow came and just dropped her two pennies in. And he commended her. It was all she had. Now it was two coins, actually. The two coins didn't even amount to what a penny was worth back then. It's all she had. Jesus said she gave far more than those Pharisees who were dropping the bagfuls in. Because they were so rich when they were dropping the bagfuls in, it was just like spending cash to them. And her heart was right, but theirs wasn't. And Jesus looked at the heart and said she gave far more. And that's really what Paul is saying. It's not the amount that matters, it's the heart. Verse 13 and on, he, we don't have time to get into those, but he's, he's not trying to make them poor. He's not trying to deprive them of their needs so the Jerusalem church can be wealthy. He's just trying to help out and bring some equality here, he's saying. I'm going to skip down to verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9 here. He says, remember this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. What he's saying is God treats us according to how we treat each other. And he puts it into a farming or gardening context. I know some of you like to garden. What if you took a corn seed and you poked one into the ground and then you walk 20 feet and you poke another into the ground, walk another 20 feet, poke another. Are you gonna have a good corn feast in the fall? No. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow generously, you reap generously. Now some means, as I said earlier, that while they think that what this means is why well, shovel it out to God and God will shovel it back, he's got a bigger shovel. That's not what Paul's saying. God could do that, and there are the stories where people have been very generous of God and God just heaps it back. And then they just keep heaping it back to God. But that's not often the way that God does it. There's so many ways that God can help us to um, reap generously. At the end of verse 10, he says one of the ways is he's going to enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You know, that's the best harvest that you can have coming back from having an open heart of generosity. That is worth more than a bank account or anything else that God can give you. So in verse 7, he kind of summarizes, he says, Each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And so he's giving a principle here. God wants you to decide what you're going to give. Do it not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but with a cheerful heart. And God can give, make his grace abound to you so that all things, at all, having all that you need, you abound in every good work. We've been talking about God has prepared in advance the good works he's planned for you to do. And what Paul is saying here, if you'll have an open, generous heart, God will give you everything you need to fulfill the good works that he's given you to do. You will not lack for those good works. So I want to finish with verse 7. Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. When God's grace impacts the heart, then giving is not an issue. It's not an issue because it's all a matter of grace. Let's pray. Father, Paul's just brought it right home to where it's at. It's a matter of the heart. And that's what you respond to. And I just pray that this morning, that your Holy Spirit would be speaking directly to our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name.